There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey there, listener. This is Dave, just jumping in ahead of the episode proper to record my intro that I neglected to do in the studio while conducting this here interview because I am a professional. Genuinely thrilled and delighted, honored, humbled, screaming, crying, throwing up, as they say, to finally welcome onto the show Enemies. Uh, we've had Mark O'Brien on before, of course. He, You'll know him in his solo guise as Royal Yellow. Been on the podcast numerous times. A wonderful human being. And he's back now because his band are back now, Enemies, having announced their reformation earlier this year. To much, much joy, of course. Mark is joined by his bandmate Louis Jackson, who I believe is making his new encore debut at this point. And uh, it really, really was a pleasure to have both of them in the studio. And you can get the sense of their friendship, their long, their long kinship throughout this this year podcast. So yeah, something a bit different this week. Uh, no top five, no new section, just a considered in-depth deep dive into the career of enemies. Uh, if you're unfamiliar, shame on you, obviously. But if you're unfamiliar, the good news is that you got a great band to catch up on. There's three albums out there for you to dive into right now. Well, not immediately, of course. I'd prefer if you listen to this episode first and then listen to the music. But um, Enemies were a pulsating force on the kind of independent circuit in Ireland for quite some time, for about a decade, really, between the years 2007 and 2016. You know, they were kind of talked about in the same breath and would have played in the same bills as bands like Adabisi Shank and Squarehead and Bats and Not Squares and many others. Fiercely creative, independent excellent artists and enemies were absolutely right up there with them 
whether you call it math rock or post rock or instrumental, whichever, like they just had this incredible vibrancy to them. Um, their music has always been really, really vital for me. I, I, I fell in love with them uh, around the time of their second album um, when I wrote a review for it that will be discussed. Uh, much to my chagrin during this episode, but their debut, We've Been Talking, is kind of held up there as one of the great Irish albums. For me, they're one of the great Irish bands, like truly. And it's such a pleasure to have them back in the world. And having them back in the world wasn't really a guarantee. It didn't seem very, very likely. We've spoken before with Mark about the band breaking up and just the, the devastating impact that had on him and how much it kind of changed him. And I don't know, I don't know if anybody really saw this reunion coming, but it's such a huge thing, I think. I think it's such a, a really, really important thing from many, many different perspectives. And so, uh, like, to get the opportunity to sit down with the guys in the studio alongside my wonderful, my beautiful sonic architect, Adam, and just go through their career, I, I couldn't pass that up. And I'm really, really happy with what we have here. I, I, I don't know if, they ever, if they've ever gone this in-depth on their career before. And it's truly, truly fascinating just to kind of, I guess, the, the stories that they can tell, the experiences that they've had, the ups and downs that the band went through. Uh, how far they went with it, literally, like across the world and, and, and back. But it's it's kind of those internal relationships that I find really, really fascinating and just the kind of the perspective that the guys have on who they were then. So, yeah, I, I don't want to kind of over-egg this one or say too much about it. I don't want to even give too much teasers. But I think if you're a hardcore fan of this band, I really hope that you will find something new here, something you've never heard before that will make you appreciate them even further. Or if this is a brand new punt for you, if you've never, ever heard them before, I, I really hope that you'll take the time and kind of just listen to them, what they have to say, because I think their experiences are incredibly interesting. And there was just a, yeah, there was a really, really nice vibe in the studio that day. I'm, I came away from it just feeling like that was great. Like that was, that was a really, that was a really great interview. And I'm just so glad that we have it on the encore. Like it's kind of, it reaffirms my, my desire to do the show when I can come away with something like this in the back pocket. So yeah, um, I don't want to kind of say too much on this. I just kind of want to jump into it. It's one of the, my favorite episodes we've done on the show, particularly in the most recent while. I think we've been on a great run in terms of guests. Like, I mean, coming into this kind of switchover period with the show, I was definitely very nervous and I still am. You know, I think you should be. I think getting behind the mic every week with different people, you know, there should be a level of nervous to it. It means you care. And I, like again, I'm, uh, last thing I want to do is slap myself on the back, but I'm, I'm praising the guests here. I think we, I think I think the guests have been stellar. I really, really do, and I think that this is a really high watermark for the show as well. This is a, a, one of my favorite interviews I've ever done, largely because I didn't say too much. Although I do embarrass myself thoroughly at one stage, so please look out for that. And please enjoy the company of Mark O'Brien, Louis Jackson. Please check out the music of Enemies. They are back in the world, and this week they are on No Encore. Enjoy. My name is Dave Hanrady and there will be no encore. Welcome back to the show. Bit of a special episode this week. No news, no top five, just chat with uh, two handsome devils and another handsome devil in the room, of course, Sonic Architect Adam. Hello. Hello. So we're joined this week by, um, the, uh, I'm going to title this episode, The Glorious Return of Enemies. Woo! So I've got Louis Jackson. Hello. And we've got Mark O'Brien. 
What's going on? I, I almost forgot your surname there for a second. A.K.A. <laughs> <laughs> Royal Yellow. Uh, welcome yeah. back, gentlemen. Hello. Yeah. Thank you very much for having us. Yeah. Long time listener, first time caller. Delighted to be here. Yes, long time <laughs> caller, first time listener. It's long overdue. So yes, of course, uh, as noted in my intro, uh, one of Ireland's greatest bands ever, Enemies. Who back. said this? I'm doing my, uh, it'll be my intro when I do my intro. Okay, okay great. <laughs> we, we were just about to say I just got really excited now. Like, wait, before. I want the name and number of whoever said I'm, that. I'm saying this. Yes. Enemies are back, back in the world. Uh, the, you know, the, the, the announcement happened a little while ago. And uh, how does it feel to be revived, resurrected, back in the world? <laughs> Dead air. <laughs> um, I was waiting for you to go. I was being polite. Oh, you're being um, polite. No, go for it. It feels really, really, really nice. Um, I think we were all a little bit apprehensive naturally in the beginning because we, we, with this current lineup of enemies, we actually haven't played together in nine years, I think, with like the Oshin Owen, Mark Lewis version of the band. Maybe 10 years. Yeah, I think it's been 10. 10. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was 2013 when Oshin left, wasn't it? Yeah. Also, sorry, um, I like how I asked you. I was like, do you prefer Louis or Lewis? And you said, either or. And then you said, I'm going to call him Louis. Grand. So I called him Louis. You just fucking <laughs> called him Louis. Yeah, I don't know why I said I was going to call him Louis. I actually think I do just say Louis all the time. Um, Head games already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, whatever. It's going to be It's going to be jazz, baby. Mr. L. But uh, <laughs> me and Mr. L here. Yeah, I prefer um, that. We were nervous. Uh because it had been a long time since we had actually been in a room together. It had been 10 years and, uh, you know, I, I kind of conjured up this romantic idea of like, we should get the old band back together and, you know, kind of pitched it to Louis and then Louis pitched it to Owen and then Louis pitched it to Oshin and it was all kind of like, it was like asking your friend to um, ask the other girl in class if you could, you know, hold her hand in the schoolyard kind of thing. <laughs> and everyone wanted to hold hands and it was great, but we were definitely nervous um, that it would just be kind of awful right like when, when yeah. we got in the room together well like when for, like yeah like Mark just said he was kind of the one who he asked me first um, and I think when he asked me I was like oh god are you are, is everything okay like what's going on in your life I was like you know are you dying I was like what like why because <laughs> yeah, I want to know like, like given the beautiful analogy that you gave there of the you know the, the love struck child I mean like how sheepish were you in like, like, like in, in, his, in his approach I mean like did he come straight out with it or was there a dance around yeah, yeah could... so we met we, we met for um, we were heading down to Mark's apartment in Limerick but we were in Dublin waiting for the train and he brought me into the into the bar in Houston Station and the most romantic place <laughs> yeah by the way not a vibe you knew, you knew um, it was going to be something big when I brought you in there yeah <laughs> and he wasn't actually too sheepish he he just kind of started by being like I've got something on my mind and that's the bit that scared me more because I was like oh no like what's what's wrong here and uh <laughs> But no, he was really he was really good about it. The only the only thing I couldn't work out was like why he wanted this to happen and like where it was kind of coming from. But we had a really lovely conversation. Like we spoke about it for like an hour, and um, yeah, I kind of believed that it was coming from a good place of just like genuinely missing the music and missing the kind of like connection that we that we once had, mm-hmm. um, and then. The I think the only thing I was kind of slightly worried about was um, was that sort of like relationship and connection still there. So the mm-hmm. only thing I asked Mark, I was like, if everyone agrees to this, like we need to have like a dinner. We all need to be in the same room, like without like going into the studio straight away. Mm-hmm. And we kind of said like, if the relationship's good, like if 
we all get along and there's no animosity like from you know years of being in a band together i was like then this can work yeah um, and the dinner had to be in houston station <laughs> and the dinner also had to be in houston station yeah at that exact carvery yeah um had there been animosity like when the band broke up i think in different forms yes like so like when Oshin left, even though it was left on good good terms, like just naturally, I think being in a band for so many years and being friends, um, and like being on the road, and it's 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 a really difficult life. I think there's just there's small things that can grow, um, and mm. yeah, I think even with every single member in the band, including like Mihol, who was the drummer after, there's always been little bits. Um, mm, mm. And I think we just wanted to make sure that those things didn't exist anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think when you've got, um, ultimately, I think at the root of a lot of it was this idea that that the band had to be a sort of a full-time job. And so when you've got all these people putting up, putting this massive pressure on something that you ultimately don't have a whole lot of control over. It's like, yes, we need to make a living from this and we need this to be a sustainable, constant sort of touring and recording model. Um, you know, the big, the thing that artists will constantly, constantly talk about is like, how do you financially actually make that possible? And so I think that like for many years, you know, we would all kind of, we would change our perspective over time. There'd be times where I would be the most gung-ho of like, guys, we've got to do this. You know, I've just quit my job. Like, we're doing this, you know, and there'd be times where Louie would be the most gung-ho. Um, and so at, at different times throughout the band, there would just be little small resentments, I guess, because not everyone is always going to be gung-ho when you're, when you're talking about four people in, in a project together, you know. It's very, very difficult to expect all of the four people to be in the same lane. So even, yeah, thinking back to like around the time that Oshin left, like I think it was kind of post second album, um, you know, me and Louis were were very like balls to the wall, like all in <laughs> on this thing. Um, yeah. Bullish, I'd say, is, prob- is, is how I would describe yeah. it at the time. I, well, I can only really speak for myself, but I was like a, I was a genuine nightmare. So like, <laughs> I, uh, like, like, but from pretty much the very beginning of Enemies, I was a bit of a nightmare. Like, I remember, oh, like, I remember Mark getting a part-time job in a pizza place and he told me, and I was really angry about it because <laughs> I was like, this is going to take away from us having like rehearsal time and not being able to play gigs. I was 18 years old. He was 18 years old. <laughs> he went to college. I was genuinely annoyed about him, fu- like, you know, helping his own future. I was like, well, that's going to get in the way of playing shows. This is like reverse father, you know, where yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was like no. these supposed to be the proud moments. Oh, I didn't want anyone in the band to have a life. Like, um, <laughs> it was so, it was so bizarre because I was holding on so like tight, like I cared about it so much and I wanted the band to do like, as much as it could do. Um, So yeah, I think... You were all, you were actually all in from, from the word go. Yeah, which is kind of strange because there was nothing to be holding on to. Like, you know what I mean? There was, there was, you know, it, it was an instrumental band. So are, you, are you are you a control freak or is this just a case of in, extreme pride in this thing that you're looking to, to make, you know, your life? Yeah, like, good question. I think a bit of both back then. I th- Like, I wouldn't be a control freak now, but... Um, but then I was, for sure. Like, I really wanted... Uh, and also, I was super proud of, like, what we were doing. So it was kind of like a mirroring or, like, a merge of both. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. 
But you were also like we were talking about this last night. Like you were just after starting a band with one of your musical heroes. Yeah. In like you know, Owen was ultimately the one who kind of Owen who plays guitar in Enemies was ultimately the one who put it together. It started out as a kind of a bedroom project for him and he decided that he wanted to turn it into kind of a full band thing and he invited myself and Oshin and Lewis into it. And uh, and I, th- I think for, for me and you, there yes. was this like, oh shit. Like, yeah. Well, I was still like keeping my... I'm very much a like keep lots of options open kind of guy. I always have been. So I'm like, yeah, I'm still going to work in a pizza place and <laughs> go to college, you know, all the important things. Wasn't you comically um, spinning dough in your finger? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, but uh, but I do think that I, I would imagine, you know, what, what you're talking about, Louis, Lewis, Mr. L, um, <laughs> is like also a feeling of like, oh, I've got like I'm, I'm on the gravy train here. Like I'm not going to squander this yeah, opportunity. Maybe to give people reference. So like own when we were growing up, there was this really big like um, sort of DIY scene in Kilcool and Greystones. And that was mostly formed by like... Um, own and a few others like that ran this kind of DIY collective and it was a lot of like punk music and through um, through that we learned a lot about like being able to release your own records and like listening to all these like great bands and like honestly like going to community centres and it would be three euro in and you'd be fed and like there'd be 15 bands on the bill and mm, one of those or a lot of those bands would have involved own who started enemies and i was absolutely obsessed with his guitar playing like i was telling mark a story the other day that i because like his guitar style is really particular and really strange and he's got all these like weird chords but i'd go to shows and uh I'd just be watching his fingers and I'd be looking at all these chords and I'd try to envision them in my own mind and then run home after the gig and like keep them in my brain and like literally learn them um, and spend hours just trying to like replicate what he did. I love, so, that. Um, I love that story so much. <laughs> yeah, so I think like, yeah, when the band started, it was just like very... Got him. Impo- yeah, I was like, I've got him. Yeah. This is very important. And I'm never letting him go. Yeah, yeah. Now <laughs> yeah. I'm going to put him on tour for seven weeks at a time. story i'm just curious as like why didn't you just ask him you know what is what is uh this is me not being able to speak musically you know his sheet music yeah like it's a beautiful thing to, oh to, that's a good question um, did you know him like had you yes we did I, like we at that point though when i first started going to shows um like there's five years in the difference between me and own and he was unattainable to me in some way because I respected his playing so much and he had played in all these bands 
I probably, I, he would have been so nice if I went up and spoke to him. But at that time, I didn't know him that well. So I would, I would have been too sheepish and too shy, I think. So it was easier for me to like, yeah, imagine the chords, close my eyes and run home from the gig and then like grab my guitar, then ever ask him. I assume you've told him this at some point. No. We were actually <laughs> speaking about this the other night and like he definitely knows how much his playing was so important to like mine because he taught me so much but I don't think he knows that story so I'm I'm definitely gonna have to tell him do you think that this yeah when he he hears this think this might fuck up the the reunion like he might be like freaked out (laughs) yeah I think I I think he's already freaked out by me enough as it is I don't think I could freak him out anymore (laughs) so how do you end up in a band together like I mean like like what is the because yeah I've always been curious about the origin story I mean like Mark when you've been on the show previously in in your royal yellow guys Mm -hmm. uh, your royal yellow costume Mm -hmm. you've uh, you've talked about you know all the, the DIY collectives and the, the thriving scene that kind of brought the band together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious how, how you go from kind of super fan to, you know, being, to bossing this guy around and everyone else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to making this man's life hell. <laughs> well, yeah, like Mark said earlier on, um, Own, it was Own's idea. So basically, Own used to have a project called New Man Own, and which the initials are NME, so hence enemies. And he, it was just sort of like this MySpace project and he put up three songs and we all hung at, by this stage, we're all hanging out. Like we all know each other very well. Playing, um, playing in different bands. Playing in different bands. Owen and would like, record our, would record the bands that we were playing in as yes. well. Like kind of hardcore punk and emo yeah. stuff. Yeah, Owen ran a recording studio at this time. So like all the bands would basically be down there and we all got to know each other kind of well. And I think the story goes that like Oshin, the drummer, was like really responsive to those songs that went up and really loved them. And then I think also, Mark, you were the same. Yes, I commented on the on the first MySpace post being okay. like, oh, let me know if you need a bassist. No way. Thinking it would go nowhere. Yes. Probably the most life-changing like, comment, <laughs> comment I've ever, that you could make. ever left. But yeah, I remember him coming up to me a couple of weeks later and being like, are you up for that thing? And I was like, what thing? He's like, the, the bass in my band. And I was just like, again, I would have, I would have, God, Owen's going to have such a big head after listening to this episode. <laughs> but I would have also looked at Owen with like this, a similar level of kind of hero worship. That, Heart eyes. That yeah. Lewis would. Because yeah. his band, Kid Blunt, were just so, so great. Like they were just like this force of, I don't think many people actually know about them. And I do, know, I will say that Owen just recently uh, like remixed and remastered their last album and yes. put it up on Spotify. So anyone listening to this that just likes like really good melodic hardcore punk, go check out Kid Blunt. Uh, the Flood is the name of the album. But um, yeah, we were just obsessed with them. Like we were just yeah. rare, you know, going to gigs at like 13, 14 years of age. And this band just had such a level of tightness and um, skill that like the that the other 12 bands on the bill that day could only dream of. So we we yeah, we were just like and he was in a bunch of bands, you know. Owen was just so prolific back in the day like it, there was a collective in Kilcool that would put out like a mixed CD every time there was a gig on. So there'd be like there'd be like a CD coming out every month of like all the yeah. bands from the area and you you might have like 16 tracks on it and on that track list 11 of the songs would have Owen on yeah. them. Like he'd just have like 11 projects on the go. Um, so we were, yeah, we were just very, very enamored with him. And Yeah. I was stoked. playing in another band at the time. Um, so he had basically picked, he had asked Mark and Oshin to be in the band and he was driving me home one night 
and he was just like, I really wanted to ask you to be the guitarist in this band, but you're already playing in this other one who that was like touring and stuff at the time. Um, and I remember I remember just being crushed and I was just like, no, 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 no. I was like, no, I, that, that band means nothing to me. <laughs> and, the name, and the name of that band was? Langdon Beck, which is like also really dear friends of mine. Um, but I was just like, the, the, yeah, I think the idea of being asked, and I was like, no, 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 look, that's on its way out. Don't be, don't be worrying. And I was right, like that band broke So is, is that the, the first time you cheated on somebody? That was the first and only time. Yeah, yeah. And I regret nothing. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. Apologies to Langdon Beck Apologies to Dara Weeping into friends, their yeah. uh, smartphones And that was kind of like Yeah, so that was kind of the birth of it And then from So basically the, all those songs Owen wrote Actually never be, um, ended up being any of the material we wrote um, This weird and kind of beautiful thing happened In the first recording Because we mm-hmm. met for the You know, first studio Like hang or see what it was going to be and we all just started jamming and from that we made a wholly like almost entirely different kind of music than Owen had been previously making mm-hmm. um other than the fact that it was they were both instrumental mm-hmm. but um and that that was kind of the birth of it yeah. yeah um tell me about the first shows like the kind of the first enemy shows when you kind of found your groove or even any your early... living room wasn't it yeah so i used to have these like basically my parents um used to go on holidays quite a lot. Um, and we have this like very lovely house that has like a big sitting room. And um, God love my parents. Like it was a new build house and they would go away to Spain for two weeks and I would throw these absolutely insane parties that had like <laughs> Adebisi Shank, Squarehead, Enemies, um, loads of like genuinely 10, 15 bands on the bill. To, you like, had a half pipe in the front garden. Half pipe <laughs> in the front garden. Like, American was, teen movie style <laughs> yeah. house party. It almost feels... Red cups. Like it Alien almost feels... were there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a wrestling ring. <laughs> yeah. But it does feel kind of fake to talk about. Like it feels like it wasn't real. But we used to throw these parties all the time. And yeah, our the first shows for Enemies um, were, were there. Yeah. Which we only had like two or three songs at the time. But like let's be fair they were probably like still a 20 minute set because <laughs> all our songs used to be so long back then post rock baby yeah 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 um, I just want to say first of all at this juncture that it's unacceptable that we weren't friends at this time I know right and I wasn't able to go to this fucking wild yeah if we could only turn back time um they were oh what a time they were they were genuinely wild and god love my like my parents would come home every time and be distraught because there would be like parts of the like ceiling and parts of like the house like coming like like falling apart basically (laughs) and they would say every single time to me they'd be like we're going away on holidays again please don't have a party and then your dad would find videos on YouTube. Oh, <laughs> so <laughs> because like, oh my god, like, oh, so I, I'm so proud of my son. I want to like search enemies on YouTube or whatever. It wasn't. It wasn't YouTube <laughs> for my birthday. Basically, one year I got. Um, it was again. It was like a big party, loads of bands playing, and there was this video that went up on Facebook of me being crowd surfed from my sitting room to my kitchen, um, <laughs> and someone put up. Uh, the video and I wrote underneath it I was like at least my folks don't have Facebook and my dad wrote underneath oh yeah I do (laughs) (laughs) and he loves that story to this day um
So, I mean, those were the uh, first enemies shows, which didn't even feel like, you know, they didn't feel like gigs, you know what I mean? It was still part of this, like, wild, fun community. So they weren't even in pubs or anything like that yet, you know? One of our first gigs was also in a skate park. Yes, in Greystones. Owen's Owen's mum had campaigned uh, as part of the council in Wicklow to, like, build this skate park. And when it opened for a while, they did gigs there. So we had a gig there. Yeah. This is like a proper ra- radical California living sort of <laughs> yeah. VH1 documentary Again, that, we're, very real, that we're painting but... here. Um, yeah. And then, you know, then it would have been like the Lower Deck would have been our first venue in Dublin. Yeah. Well, like Richter um, Collective would have started to form at this time. So this is when we would have first met bands like Bats, Squarehead, not squares uh, at a BC at shank, BC. Um, and like that's when that kind of like Dublin scene all started to like connect. It's like when we would have first met and saw Hutchum Fire and all of these bands, um, and that's when we'd start putting on like again what felt like what had been created in Kilcool was now being created in Dublin, but just in an entirely different way. And this just like very beautiful community of bands kind of like coming together, almost sharing the same ethos, but also not sounding anything like one another. Mm-hmm. So it was quite a cool, like Eamon Doran's is what would have been like the, one of the main Eamon venues Doran's. that we played shows. I was 17 when we started playing shows in Eamon Doran's. So I remember, oh God, I have yeah. a very, very vivid memory of how like the, the bouncers at Eamon Doran's were like notoriously strict. Mm. Like if you if you you could be you could be booked for a show, but if you didn't have ID, you weren't playing the show. And so I remember going in at lunchtime on the day of a, a gig that we were playing there and hiding in the utility room in the venue and just reading Harry Potter for like <laughs> seven hours. <laughs> just until, so we could get in. Uh, that big chunky one it must have been like one of the one of the later Harry Potter books. But yeah, uh, just sitting in a broom closet reading that for yeah, Seven it was areas. technically the green room, but it was the most disgusting place on the on the planet. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. If anyone remembers Eamon Dorans. but Eamon Dorans. Yeah, those were kind of the shows. And then it felt really cool to be a part of Richter Collective because it was, we felt very disconnected being in Kilcool. You know, it, it is a very small village in the kind of, you know, middle of nowhere. So we didn't feel um, like after that, community that I was talking about, those DIY shows, they all kind of vanished because everyone got older and people moved away. And so enemies, it felt like enemies was kind of the only thing left there. And that felt a little bit like, oh, we don't really, you know, know what to be doing. Can't put on shows just by yourself. Like nobody really knew us then. So it was really cool to find those Mm. bands and find that like new collection of people to kind of put on shows with. Yeah, kind of felt like putting on our big boy pants a little bit yeah. as well. Like yeah, mo- yeah, moving to actual venues. So no more house parties either. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was sad. The house party started. Well, I mean, God love the house. Like the house was in <laughs> it was in tatters. It still is, and my folks blame me every time I come home. They're like, "See this? This was you." Um, and they point to another. Yeah. How did you get away with this? I, I, I don't understand. <laughs> I think it. Was, I, to be honest, I don't think I got away with it. I think they their thirst for holidays. Um, 
outweighed the destruction of their house. So they were just like, it was better for them to still go on They would holidays. get annoyed, but then they'd be like, oh shit, we've got a plane to catch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> gone uh, again. Like I used to, my, my sister's five years older than me and she'd be at the parties too. But when my parents came home, I'd disappear to one of my best friend's house for four days and let them cool off. And then I'd come back and they'd, they'd be like less angry than they were with Incredible. my sister. This so. is like you, the life of a sitcom character. <laughs> I know, it's you ridiculous. You did get away with it. You got away with a lot. I got away with murder. You have an amazing... Ability to just not get in trouble when it comes to your your folks. Yeah, thank you, John and Sheila. Shout out um, to John and Sheila. So yeah, I, I wanted to ask. I mean, you kind of began to answer my question for me, but like, I mean, yeah. the, the Richter Collective and bands of that nature, the bands that you mentioned, uh, people speak like pe- people who are into that scene speak about that scene in like hushed, reverential tones. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a big deal. People who mm-hmm. were there at the time. I mean, I kind of missed out on a lot of it. Unfortunately, I didn't get to. I, I've never seen Anna Shang, for example, which is unacceptable. Yeah. But um, you know, maybe someday. Who knows? But uh, what I would Adam say though, still in nappies. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> Adam's just a baby. But I mean, like, um, I'm just curious. Like, I mean, like, like, how did it feel at the time? I mean, like, did you realize at the time this is really fucking good? Where we are an integral part of this scene. All the bands are really of a high standard. And like in terms as well of the relationships, I mean, like I maybe I'm wrong, but it didn't seem like there was competitiveness. Seems like you guys kind of raised each other up, mm-hmm. or maybe yeah. there was. Maybe there was some yeah. kind of you know I want to be better than the next one or whatever. Because no, it, well I think because all of the bands were so different, um, style wise, yeah, style wise, that it was really hard for there to be any sort of competition. And it really was like this again. It felt like a DIY community where it was like if someone got like a great show or a good contact or a good agent, like it, everything felt like it got shared. Yeah. And uh, we really did like everyone supported every band. You know, even if a band started getting bigger, there was no real like ego around, and that that doesn't always exist with bands. But um, yeah, and we knew that like no one was going, no one was going to the top. You know what I mean? Like it was yeah. It was no one's going to sign the million dollar deal. It was by deal, nature, yeah. like exactly. It was, it was embracing experimentation and you know avant gardeness. Like it was that was the t- the spirit of it was this kind of anti commercial, um, weird collective of weirdos. You know, so like we loved Adabisi Shank because they were weird, and we yeah. knew, and it was almost like we had this precious little secret. Like we knew that they were never going to be a huge band. We like. We were never going to lose them. Like, I think nowadays, out of necessity, whatever way the culture has gone, like there's, or maybe it's just, you know, maybe it's just seeing bands like Fontaine's DC or, um, you know, or bands like Just Mustard or whatever doing really well on like a kind of an international level. There's this, there's this feeling that uh, it can happen. You know what I mean? And, And so I think that like, there's kind of, there's a lot of, maybe a lot more competitiveness around now because there's, a few people have actually gotten to take the apple from the tallest branch of the tree. And so others are sort of going, well, if they can do it, we can do it. But there was just nothing happening for yeah. for any of us. You know, it was it was just like, it was just our scene, our gigs for totally. a while there. And then like, you know, things like Japan, you know, opportunities to go to Japan would happen. And all of a sudden it was like, again, it was still like high fives and fist bumps because it was like, we knew that we weren't going over to Japan to play the Japanese version of Madison Square Garden. We were going over to Japan to play like clubs to like-minded weirdos who are into yeah. mathy, you know, experimental rock music. For sure. And you were kind of asking there, like, did like 
you know, did we appreciate it? Did it seem like a big deal? I don't think so at the time. I think it was really hard to like... We were spoiled as well. We were so spoiled <laughs> that it was actually kind of hard to... It's not that we didn't appreciate it. I just don't think we... When you're in something like that, you're, it's hard to put value in it because it just feels like you're every day. Mm-hmm. I think it's only <clears throat> when it left was the moment we, that we found like genuine importance. And we're like, oh, that was a really big moment in music for us. Like it changed a lot for us. Yeah. Um, but I don't think we would have had that um, feeling while that was like happening at the time. The thing about, um, you're saying like, you know, the, the style of music, it wasn't, you know, it's not pop music for the radio, so it's not going to, you know, you're not, you're, you're probably not going to get the opportunity to, you know, be given like a fucking gold record deal by a label or whatever. But like, I just go back to kind of the idea that you had, Louis, at the beginning of this project that you believed so much in it and that it could be a full-time thing and you didn't want your lovely Mark to have his, his pizza job or his college yeah. run. How uh, dare he? <laughs> did, you, did you ever feel a sense, a, a sense of resentment that enemies weren't signed to some fucking major deal or weren't the biggest band in the world? I mean, no, in, I th- in, in, from a commercial perspective yeah. or something. I think I always knew to some degree what the ceiling was for the music we made, but my drive with the band was always like I want us to be I I guess I want us to do as well as we can do within the parameters of our music Mm -hmm. so like I I wanted us to be able to be able to tour and make a living and like a battles level yeah like I think battles and like because battles you know they really shot out of like the instrumental scene and went beyond what the parameters that were available before that. I think I saw it maybe more as like, oh, like now, now there's a new ceiling and like Mm -hmm. maybe we can strive for that. But I don't think I was ever, I don't, I think I always knew that it it couldn't be, I wanted it to be a full-time job. I really did. I wanted us to like make a living from music, but it's so funny looking back on that now because it's so obvious that it couldn't be like it's not available to most instrumental bands. Do you think I don't mean this is a dig? Do you think yeah. you were naive? Like, do you think it was? Yes. Yeah, real like hardcore optimism totally. and belief in what you're doing. And I'm kind of glad I was because it really led me to like. It really led me to do as much as I could for our band, and I don't think if I if I didn't have that naivety, I probably wouldn't have ever put in all the work that was put in yeah and people will you know and i think one of the things that people don't realize about enemies is like the first thing that comes up every time um people talk to me about enemies is like going to asia and touring in asia and people are constantly just like how did that happen how, like you know god you're so lucky like that just it's amazing that, that just kind of landed in your lap and, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and like the real story is that like louis in his like utter belief and conviction for the the possibilities of this band would like go home from band practice every night and spend four hours a night on MySpace adding yeah. all of Japan. You know, like he'd be like every fucking independent record store, every independent label, bookers, like he was like grafting away and probably not just Japan, but America, Europe, yeah. like all over the world. Like you were a man on a mission to just like 100% to make it happen and a lot yeah. of the opportunities that a lot of the amazing opportunities that came our way um in the years in the early years of the band were were a direct result of that like you could tie so much of what we've done I'm sure you can probably still remember the exact 
DM that was yeah. sent or, or received. Well, um, yeah, I guess. So that level of conviction really, something I'm very grateful for, you know, because I was flipping pizzas. <laughs> I just or, wanted to get him out of his pizza job. <laughs> I, was, I was more than happy to spend eight hours a night. You should have seen these pizzas, though. <laughs> they were legit, yeah. Stunning. Um, <laughs> Stunning. that that kind of those connections started to happen like I would yeah I'd spend four to eight hours um on MySpace every day I didn't have a job um so I kind of you know the way MySpace used to have like top friends so you'd go to like a Japanese artist like Toe who we toured with and then I'd like add all those like people and then I'd like start messaging them and talking to them about like music I wouldn't always ask like hey will you release our music I'd be just talking to them about like my favourite instrumental bands and who theirs are and like opening conversations and I just did this like repeatedly over and over and over um, and it was like, a very new thing like nowadays when people do this you're like fuck off you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know what I mean by the way you couldn't do that now because yeah. that's like that's the most annoying thing yeah. in the world yeah. but because social media was so new it was like oh this is quite exciting I'm to talking talk to, to someone in yeah, Japan yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 but like, yeah, if you yeah, get that frontier. email now you're like oh my god go away yeah, like for like <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> follow, follow hey hot boy yeah. <laughs> what's your body count yeah <laughs> <laughs> a reference to an off mic conversation we had earlier on. By the way, in which I sorry, I, I just I'll derail now and say that <laughs> try to you both, try to wedge you, this in. You, yeah. you both, but I, I just find it really funny that you you were both bemused. You both said that you learned the phrase body count this week, and you're yes. like awful. Per- yeah. By the way, per- for anyone who doesn't know what it is, it's a truly awful term for the amount of people you've ever slept with. Yeah. And uh, toxic term. Toxic term that me or Mark never use, <laughs> but that we <laughs> except off mic. Except off mic. <laughs> 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 In fairness to the lads, I should jump in here and say that they were quoting that uh, you heard someone yes. in, a, in a pub say it, and you were like, yes. what the fuck's going on over there? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Shout out to the beach house in Greystones, where I've been spending a lot of the last couple of days uh, <laughs> as I'm home, practicing with the boys and getting ready for our show. Um, that just makes it sound like you've been sitting in a pub for five days. <laughs> I have. <laughs> yeah. And learning learning sexy new terms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah, so on the on the Asia thing, though, I mean, like, while, yeah, I think well, I think people ask you a lot of, yeah, they may have a misconception about, you know, the work that went into it, but like, mm-hmm. yeah, it is. I mean, I don't know that many independent Irish artists who, who got to Asia and played music there. Mm-hmm. So I guess take me through that, like, take, like, like how, I, I can't imagine how that is, having never been there myself. I mean, like, yeah. but to, to be in, the, like, take me into those clubs it, and, and to those shows. Isn't it that, um, correct me if I'm wrong here, but... The reason that Toe actually got interested in us was because our band name is Enemies, and there's a there's a really kind of seminal um, 
post-rock, math-rock kind of alternative rock band called Pele from the States, um, who I think are, have gone on to do collections of Colonies of Bees. Yes, now. yeah, yeah like, and Volcano Choir with Justin Vernon, yeah, loads, loads of big bands. Yeah, and, and so they Pele have an album called Enemies just coincidentally, and Toe are like big, big Pele fans. Yeah. So I think the thing that like got also, them on the hook... Also for any listener who doesn't know this band, basically Toe are the band who brought us to Japan. They have their own record label and we're like, yeah. like, yeah, and replied, they were one of the first people who replied to us. Yeah, they really opened it up. So I think it was almost, there, there, there was a lot of hard graft on Lewis's part for sure, but there was a little bit of luck there in terms of like, just seeing that word sort of got them on the hook. And oh, a thousand were, percent. Um, which is ama- just an amazing, it's just an amazing story that like, that tiny little bit of a kind of a, maybe they thought we were a Pele cover band yeah. or something. Um, <laughs> so but then that led to getting signed to their label and it was yeah. it was 2009 when we first got brought over. Yeah, so like, it, which was quite strange because the band basically started in 2008. Seven. 2007? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And basically we had five songs on MySpace at this time, uh, or four maybe, and yeah, my 30,000 like um, DMs eventually brought up <laughs> one, per, like basically this one band who, um, I mean, were just absolutely incredible and um, really, really pivotal for us. But they, yeah, they brought us over. They kind of started by signing us and they were like, look, we're going to put out your record. We're going to do a thousand copies in Japan and, you know, do a full distribution like terror, like in all the terror records and stuff like this. And we were so blown away by this idea because we, at this point, I can't stress enough, we were playing to 14 people in Greystones. Do you know what I mean? Like we weren't, you know, we weren't really like known at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, were you scared to trust it at all? Was there any kind yes. of like, what if this is just a hoax yes, or something? Yes, yes, yes. I'm going to say no, but Mark's going to say yes. Um, I remember just refusing to believe it until it happened. Yeah. And people would be like, how many weeks now until you're going to Japan? And I'd be like, three, but you know. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, I literally remember like going to the airport that morning and I think we had some, we tried to bring a drum kit on the plane. Oh God, I know. <laughs> we tried to bring an entire drum kit on the plane. Set up. Genuinely. <laughs> like, this is the level of touring experience that we had. Like, we just didn't know. Also, the drum and kit, I have to specify, uh, Owen's mum had wrapped it in a duvet and <laughs> taped it together. And they were just like, yeah, this isn't happening. You're not, you're, you're not bringing your mum's bed sheets and a drum kit on a plane. So this is the level of experience we, we had. We never toured and like I remember, this. Yeah, yeah. Especially in a post 9-11 world. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Have Absolutely. you packed your bag yourself? <laughs> yeah. We had done one UK tour in a van, in a car. Car. In yeah. a car. We had squeezed all of our things into like a Renault Clio or something and done a UK tour. Yeah. Um, and I remember getting to the airport. Positive uh, vibes for Renault there. Uh, yeah. Time they're <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. I feel like Renault at the minute could use a dig out. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Um, we were at the airport anyway, and uh, we'd stayed up all night. We, we decided that because it was such a long flight to Japan, we would have a party and stay up all night with our friends on the sesh. And so when we got on the plane, we would just sleep all the way to Japan. Um, but when we got to the airport and we tried to, and we brought all of Owen's mum's blankets, um, <laughs> wrapping drums, they were like, look, you can't, you can't bring this. What are, you, what are you talking about? And so in that moment, I remember just thinking like, ah, here it is. This is it. This is the moment where the Japan trip doesn't doesn't happen yeah but actually we just left all the drums in dublin airport and uh and of course the have the highly professional touring crew that was waiting for us in tokyo just had like a brand new yeah 
drum kit ready to go. By the way, sorry, we're having to bring two drum kits. So this is the whole thing. Like, it's like for our band to work, it's like really <laughs> annoying. Like, you know what I mean? We stupidly, of course, we stupidly be, thought, like, there won't be a second drum kit in all of Japan. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, very annoying. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Famously anti-drum country. Yeah. yeah. And then we get there and it was like, it was like a legitimate tour where we, we, we were getting our own, like we were put up in our own hotel rooms and, yeah. um, you know, we were given proper green rooms and beers. It was just and, like nothing we had seen before. And like, it, it really felt like something from like a movie, like the way bands are depicted in movies. Like I'll never forget the first, the the first real big show over there was in Tokyo in a venue called O West. And I think it's like a 800 to a thousand capacity venue. Um, and basically the doors for the show opened at three o'clock. But the doors we, opened the show. We were, <laughs> the doors opened the Excellent. show, but we're not on till about seven o'clock. Yeah. So you're supporting toe. We're supporting toe on this tour. Yeah. And, um, mm-hmm. Doing our own shows as well. Uh, some they played four of the shows of, mm. of the nine, I think, and then people like the room was full by four o'clock. We're three hours from our stage time, and we're sitting in the green room and has this TV that just is showing the whole like stage and the whole like crowd, and they're all just like waiting there, and they all have like loads of people in enemies merch and like people with signs, and we're just like it would it genuinely stopped the cogs in my brain. Like to the point that I was watching it on the screen and I was like, all right, no, someone's fucking with me. And I walked <laughs> to the stage so that I could see it for myself. Like it yeah. felt so alien. Um, and it, yeah, it was, it was like, I think it was one of the most magical experiences for us because it felt like, like all of our work and all of like really wanting the band to work in some way. It was the first time we saw it like the fruits of our labor a little bit. And it was in a country that felt so alien to us, you know? Um, yeah, it was, that was probably what planted the, um, we can do this, you know, in a way it was like, I think so. Probably yeah. what actually made us go, you know what, this actually could, we could, we could make a living from this. Yeah. Um, was there ever a conversation about, should we move here? <laughs> um, no. I think there was from me. I like genuinely, I think again, the little weird psychopath. Um, I think like, Willing to willing to just risk it it all in exactly, guys. I would have done anything for this. I can't. (laughs) I can't stress enough. I got annoyed at the guys for having girlfriends. So, um, (laughs) like, I think I I, like. I definitely remember a point. I think maybe four or five days in, I was like, "Ah, come on." Like, you know, we're playing to a thousand people a night. Yeah. Like, let's go. You got to <laughs> go back to the to the girlfriends thing here. I mean, like, Mark, t- 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 take me into your headspace when when you're being told you can't have a job, can't go to college. And the last thing you can have, man, is a relationship. <laughs> is a relationship. Yeah. And then it's, and then uh, some, uh, well, it was like hanging out with Charles Manson, I guess, because at some point. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. That's staying in. Because, <laughs> because at some point I just went, yep. Uh, like, literally, like, I think it took me a lot longer to go all in on the band. I was in another band when Enemy started. I was in a kind of a post-hardcore emo band at the time. And they and, that, and I'd been in that band for years. So I was still like, no, this is my baby, man. Also you know, hated sure, them being in that band. we hated that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so I think it was years. I think I kind of like, Enemies for me was always a part of a bigger puzzle where it was like college. I was very passionate. I did graphic design in college and I was really passionate about that. And um, yeah, I was I, like my 
current fiance I was I've been going out with since very early into the enemy's story as well despite um, uh, despite my despite best, effort attempt attempt best effort to shut down that relationship um, it was war of attrition yeah, yeah. yeah. also I should say at this point congratulations on your recent engagement yeah. Yeah. thank you very much yeah, had to, Louis had was that tough for you to see <laughs> well look I'm not gonna lie I'm the best man and I'm gonna ruin the both <laughs> of them in that speech man, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah and he no. insists that enemies play for three hours at the wedding um, <laughs> if you but, pay uh, well but it took me yeah, I was definitely aware of Louis' intensity. We all were, but, you know, it was also like, you know, we were also delighted to have all these opportunities. Like, we could see the fruits of his intensity yeah. paying off all the time, so it was great. I think it was only when I finished college um, and I was working in the corporate world for a while and just experiencing how utterly soul-destroyingly bleak it is to work an office job Sorry to um, anyone who ever for you. <laughs> I really hope none of my former employers or colleagues <laughs> are listening to this. But um, for me, not for not for not for the rest of the world. But also, like, yeah, I guess, I guess I probably had a bit of an ego at the time as well because of the the things that we had done. And I was just like, you know what? At that point, I was like, um, you know what, Louis? I get it. I really, really want this too. Yeah. And um, and I think you know, it's funny. I think you, whatever level of intensity you had. Um, you were able to manage it in such a way that like it you kept the trains on the track or you kept the wheels on the track and everyone was kind of happily enough coasting along i think when i decided to also be like uh all in guns blazing like we're doing this that was probably a tipping point in the history of the band where it just started to become kind of crap for everyone because all of a sudden there's two Charles yeah, Manson's yeah. in like, this cult. Oh, you know now we have, now we, yeah. um, we, I'm not mad about this reference. <laughs> I, I, if we could shut down the Charles Manson reference. Would you prefer Jim Jones? <laughs> yeah, yeah. One of the one, one of the Manson family just got just got released from prison. Yeah, uh, I saw that actually. It was, yeah, Van it was Houten, like two days ago or something. Yeah. Leslie Van Houten or something I think her name is. So is this like, um, is this you validating you're like, yeah. well, you know, if, if, if they can change. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look, we can all change. Um, can, can I jump in for a minute I want to like nerd out a touch um, yeah. and kind of go I suppose into the studio mm-hmm. um, because it's the first time the original lineup has, has been back since the you know I suppose it split yeah. you know years ago so I'd love to kind of be taken into the studio and what that was like for those first two records um, particularly, the, particularly the first one but also the development of the first one to the second one because by after the first one, you know, you get that little injection of, yeah, of the of the support of the of the public and you know being in the collective as well must have mm. been you know you're kind of everyone is standing on the shoulders of giants in that way because you're all in it together. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, was it Owen that kind of handled it initially? I know you said he had a recording studio. Was yeah. he kind of de facto producer of the record as well? How did it work logistically? Yeah, so like the record, so Owen recorded the whole record, Mm. um, but we had made the 10 songs from that album all together in that same studio. Um, I think it took a year and a half to write, if I'm correct Mm -hmm. on that, Mark, maybe I'm not. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was a really weird album to make because it was the most in a strange way, it was the most effortless record to make that we ever, like, of all three. Um, to the point that, like, I don't, f- I don't remember the any difficulty 
difficulty in the writing room for it. No, like, no, not on that record. The songs really wrote themselves. Yeah. There was no vocals. There was no extra bits. It was just two guitars, bass, drums, a lot of jamming. And we sort of were all very much, like, we were all very much on the same page. We liked the music, that kind of music at that time. So, and then when it came to the recording of it, I mean, honestly, the the rhythm section recording is absurd because Ushin did, recorded all his drums in a day and a half. No, it was it was a half day. A half day? Jesus yeah, yeah. Christ. <laughs> right. And Mark recorded all his bass in one day. The other half of the day. It was all done in one day. The what? the whole rhythm section. The whole rhythm section. Yeah, we, for, we for spent the, that entire record with all of those songs. That's, yeah. that's Are you amazing. serious? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Best thought, day of my life. That's absolutely we spent, insane. We spent the morning setting up, micing up the kit. Got got a pretty good sound pretty quickly because Owen Owen was running this as a home studio and he so just, he knew he the just room. knew how to mic yeah. a kit. Yeah. Yeah. Um Oshin, I think, got most of the tracks in one take. Um and then went home. You know, it was just like, see us. Didn't see him again for didn't see him again for the rest of the, the album. Second album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah pretty uh, much. He was just like he's always been like that. He's just like my job is done. See, I I I, I admire it so much, and so um, we went to the off license, got a load of cans, um, set up the bass amp, and we stayed up all night uh, tracking the bass. And we had friends over to the studio because I kind of I mentioned earlier maybe having a bit of an ego back then. I kind of wanted an audience <laughs> while I was recording. Well, you do so really we like, well when they're like, you're very good in a recording setting. Like if you, if there's eyes on or people in the room, you sort of flourish. In and that, that was, that that was going to yeah. be a question I followed up with. Was it like, do you yeah. thrive in those situations where there are people watching you do what you do? And it's kind of that bit of pressure on your shoulders to be like, fuck, I need to perform because like this is going to be it forever, you know? I wonder what or I was, still or, be, or was would it? I still be like that? I definitely did then. Like I was, I was, um, I was 18 or 19 years old. So I was just like a little arrogant, you know, uh, pomp. I don't know. Pompous probably isn't the right word, but no, I, was, you... I was just very confident and, 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 you know, I was like, just, you know, knew I was good and was like, yeah, let's do this, you know? And also just, I think just the excitement of like, I'm making an album, you know, this is just mm. so, it's the first time I'd ever recorded like a, an album and knowingly like everyone's sitting around and, getting ready to do it and yeah we just had beers and we had friends around and I, and I remember being like right the first bus is at 5am first bus is going to bring me back to Greystones so I have to make sure I have all the tracks done by 5am yeah and I think it was like 4.30 in the morning and we had one track left it was, yeah. it was Gabby Gabby it was Gabby yeah. so um and that was that's probably one of the easier tracks on the record so it was just like hit hit record Got it, got it in one take, and then literally, I remember just like running for the bus, <laughs> and uh, and the like. Honestly, it's one of the best moments of my life. Is like running for that bus, and like Knowing sort of what you, what watching you, dusk, yeah. watching watching dawn. You know, watching the sun start to come up, and the stillness of the whole village of Kilcool. Like me being like the only person in the village that was awake at that time. Yeah, and just this feeling of this genuine feeling of like massive uh, gratitude and accomplishment and. I think possibility as well. Like I think it felt uh, that was one of those moments where any anything and everything felt possible. It just felt really special. It felt like we were we were making something genuinely special. Yeah, I feel like I'm hearing that story for the first time. Like I can't believe it was done in one day. Yeah, um, I can't believe Owen engineered it. Yeah, because he Owen must have been sitting at that desk for twenty hours or something. I'm yeah. playing on the record himself, of course. I'm playing yeah. on the record. Yeah, yeah. 
Now I will tell you the guitar situation was not <laughs> less that you, way. Less, <laughs> um, less euphoric. Yeah, way less euphoric. Um, like I was next up to do guitars. Um, Mark was in college at this time, as everybody knows. <laughs> as you keep reminding, yeah, keep reminding everybody, <laughs> throwing his college. life away. <laughs> and Oshin would like Oshin was gone from the studio, so. Um, and also Owen had been recording so much so a lot of my guitar parts were like you know some of it was making it with Owen but a lot of it was like you know press record Owen would go do his thing and I was like in the studio um, doing my own parts Um, which was definitely just like we had enjoyed making the rhythm section like that part of making the record was so much fun. It was so much fun watching Oshin and Mark make those bits. But yeah, mine was just like far less interesting, I think, because it was just like me in a dark room um, <laughs> making the the guitar parts. But then when it came back around to doing own stuff, I think it got very exciting again because it was like the la- like the bits of flourish like the fun bits of the record um, and I think you like Mark maybe you started popping back down after that um, uh, probably had some pieces to make you probably had some pieces <laughs> um, girlfriend college no actually I don't think I, yeah no I think it was actually really bad me and Oshin like disappeared after that first day and yeah uh, oh no I did start coming back towards the end yeah there was a little yeah. bit of like glockenspiel and stuff that we got down there yeah um, but I think between so yeah like the guys got done in one day and then I think between me and Owen's guitars like we weren't in the studio every day, every day, but I think it took us like maybe a week after that to make um to for me and Owen to get our guitar parts down, um which just feels so ridiculous now because like when I listen to that album, it's like it's so mad that it was done so quickly, like mm-hmm. from the writing to the recording. I think it was like all like a year and a half. Yeah, like second like, album took about six weeks or something. It was so yeah, well, so that more that, that album, the, the first album we've been talking, yeah. Um, comes out and from what I can gather uh, it was pretty acclaimed right I mean like like it, it, it hit well from what well I think the it, it's so weird right because like I think now the perception of it um it, it's so great because like you know there's a of people who like that music I think it is respected in that sphere but at the time like you know we had like a couple of like reviews like Irish Times and Hot Press and stuff like uh, reviewed it well but not a lot of people knew about it um, mm-hmm. it took a really lot it was a real slow burn as a record was that by design from your side or was it more just the fact that like the label really, the you, label was in Japan you, you, and you can't really yeah. control that though can you have like, like no a, not yeah. really yeah so like Richter Collective re- released it here and then there was a like Japanese uh, record label called Machu Picchu who released it in um, Stiff Slack sorry in Japan, yeah. in Japan and um no, I, th- I like we kind of wanted it to like, you know, be as big as it could be. But I think, again, odd music. There wasn't a lot of instrumental bands um, in Ireland at that time. I think it was just like hard for it to hit. But I'm kind of yeah. glad it was a slow burn because it just set, like it just felt like it kind of grew legs like as the years went on. So by the time we went to release our second record, a lot of people knew about the, the album then. The first album release was Upstairs in Wheelands. So what's that like? 150 100, people? 100 cap? Yeah. 150? I think they've made it slightly bigger now, yeah. So it would have been smaller at the time. Yeah, this maybe two, 100. This was yeah. 2010. It was tiny. It was a great, great gig. It was absolutely packed. Like it was the middle of summer. We were bucketing sweat. 
but yeah, it was a very, it was, you know, that was 2000, that was like summer 2010 and then summer 2013 we're releasing our second album in the button factory so it was a yeah. very gradual the second album um i remember it got a it got a four-star review from state magazine from dave hanratty no oh, way right. <laughs> <laughs> it's all coming like, out today guys yeah, yeah, no, by, by the way is this out of five or out of ten out of five four out of ten yeah <laughs> not your best nice <laughs> Could have done better. And of uh, course, uh, we can't access that review because state uh, on the online website is long gone. Oh, but you do remember it word for word, don't you? Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm sure I actually... Right I, I probably I, an email somewhere, It right? probably is an email somewhere. I'm just going to check uh, <laughs> and <laughs> see, see if I can find anything about it. But um, yeah, so I mean, take me through like just like the cycle. Because I, like, I mean, I'm, I'm curious as to when all the euphoria turns to, you know, this Despair. is... Despair. This is too fucking hard. Oh, yeah. So... I mean, it really did take quite a long time for us to get to that position because by the time we're ma- now we're making the second album, we're that's probably like our highest heights. It's like the part where we feel like the best about the band. Um, but the actual making of the record's more difficult because our interests start to narrow at this point. So our collective, like what we're into. Are, is getting a little smaller and we're definitely mm. more critical of what we're making. Whereas like we've mm. been talking was like what felt like we, it just came out of us. This album, like Embark and Brace was not that way. And we, it was a lot of grafting to like make it sound the way we wanted to make it sound or write the songs the way we wanted them to be written. Yeah, lots of different influences coming in. And also at this point, it's like, Math rock has become quite a big popular sort of genre. You have bands like Foles and stuff like who are like a couple of albums in and um, it's it's become a bit of a, it's almost starting to reach a kind of a saturation point where math rock and post rock are becoming kind of boring to us as, to as, us. as musicians because they've just, everyone and their granny has a math rock band at this stage. So we're we're trying to do something different with it within the confines of what we've already set out as kind of our stall. We're adding vocals and bringing in different players and adding different kind of levels of instrumentation. And yeah, like a lot, like I, I love that. I really, really, really like that second record, but it was, it was a lot uh, harder to. Speaking of that second record. Oh, God, oh, you, found oh you found the review. <laughs> I found my yes. email. No way. This is no a, way. This is I a, can't believe we're having you. <laughs> Read us. Well, I'm going to. I'm going to be for a couple. I'm going to read a couple for a couple reasons because I'm. I just looked at it there and I am embarrassed by my writing. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. This yes. is, this is very pretentious uh, by me. We we'll give you a star rating for ten years ago. So yeah, like let's uh, go. This is May of 2013 when I when I wrote this review, right? Um, this is absolutely embarrassing. There'll be a bed of uh, one of the songs off the record. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm only going to give you the opening and closing paragraphs because obviously there's lots of, you know, just wank about me talking about the, trying to talk about the music. But I mean, so for context, I would have been like still with Hot Press at this point to some degree. Yeah. But Hot Press were very like, you know, they were a real Louis Jackson. Like they were very controlling and they were just, you know. <laughs> they, 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 they would, I love they the Charles <laughs> Manson of magazines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They would break my spirit and they would just, you know, they wouldn't let me have nice things. But no, I mean like, I think I was very much trying to find my voice as a music writer, and this is—I mean, oh god, like I, I can't believe I, I, I like, can't wait. This is awful. <laughs> so, yes. so yeah, four out of five. You know, um, the, the, my open paragraph, and I, I'm so sorry for this. Yes. Quote: <clears throat> The greats don't settle. 
The best songs are seldom complete works, often abandoned at a certain point. New paths are forged by those willing to wander them, regardless of destination. This is a beer ad. Do enemies this- write with endings in mind? <laughs> Question mark. <laughs> Their layered soundscapes suggest not. I use the word soundscape. I should be shot. Yeah. Always, <laughs> always reaching that little bit further, they bloom brightly, fighting against the inevitable fall of the curtain. What in the name of God? I don't know. <laughs> Drawing what for kind it? of Shakespearean fucking tragedy are you <laughs> Conclusions are important for obvious reasons. Okay, okay. Are you just saying things? <laughs> oh my They're god. They're just sentences. I think I invented chat GPT. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I continue, not least the power of memorable full stop, but how we get there, the changes recorded along the way should not be underplayed. My Dave, face is what? going red. How many and words? Then, oh my god. This, like, you have said so much without yeah. saying anything uh, at all. It's going to skip to the final paragraph, uh, which is shorter, thankfully. And it's me going, uh, in the space of just two albums, enemies have learned important lessons and offered some of their own for consideration. They climb with confidence, no safety net in place. Oh. <laughs> Unafraid to fall. What the fuck was I th- Oh my God. So many metaphors. <laughs> so many metaphors. I can't believe Curtains, nets, mountains, <laughs> mystic highways. That is, I, I'm, I'm, I'm terrible. That's a beer ad. <laughs> that is, like, that's like, that is refreshment. And I would have been like, yeah, man, I fucking crushed it. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I think yeah. that's my favorite enemy's um, review of all time. Yeah. That was incredible. Thanks. And that yeah. was only an excerpt, I'd like to have you know. Mm. Yeah. You know. Well, there's some more specificity in there. Could you introduce us at the Button Factory show? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll we'll just read, read like, that out. Come out, come out, yeah. come out holding a skull in your right hand. <laughs> I have to have like, some kind of yeah, some kind of like, war paint on or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, we up, can like, work out the finer details. Yeah. Anyway, so despite getting that glowing review um, things would eventually sour take me back to that, was, well, that, that review was the high point for sure yeah. I mean how do you how do you top that yeah you can't really when did, it was very gradual I think Oisin Oisin probably yeah, so, saw the writing on the wall before the rest of us and, and yeah. probably got out at the optimal moment I would well say. I think yeah I think Oisin just started well Oisin sort of knew that for what we were looking for at the time, Oshin couldn't really be there for. He didn't want the touring life and he didn't want like to be, he didn't want to make it a job the same way, you know, I did or that maybe Mark did. And so I think he leaves and like fair play to Oshin, he's the one who actually found us Mihol. Like um, we met Mihol in New York because we were all playing this show together and uh, Oshin was like, I think this should be your drummer. Um, mm. So Oshin, yeah. With, he was playing with Slow Skies at the time. He was playing with Slow Skies at the time. So Oshin leaves and... But I will say at this time, before we start making the third record Valuables, this is where things start to get like hairy. This is where like our relationships are slightly getting difficult because the writing process for Valuables, it was like... very difficult (laughs) like now where I said previously that our influences and stuff were getting narrow they were almost non-existent like nothing like nobody had the same interest in like stuff they were listening to we didn't have a guiding star no there's no common ground and, and also at this time I think this is where we started looking at music quite unhealthily where we were like oh we need to be making this 
uh, kind of music. And I think that's when things get really bad because mm. like we had never thought that way before, but now we're starting to be like, oh no, this needs to be this so that like, you know, people will, li- like more people will listen to yeah, it. You're boxing yourself in early totally doors. Totally. Yeah, before you even started writing the songs. Like, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that's kind of the mm. conversations we're having. And, you know, 2020 hindsight, like that's usually when a band is on its way out. And you just want it too much. You know what yeah. I mean? Like when you're like, I think like Louis has alluded to always really, really wanting it from from very early on. But I think there was probably a lot more balance in the camp of like, there was three of us who were very mellow and chilled and like, mm-hmm. you know, were very like, whatever happens, man. You know, so like there was a looseness and a freeness to all of us, I think, yeah. in the recording, in the writing room. Where we just, we were, we were all very comfortable going with the flow. But yeah. then by valuables, there's like, we've all kind of had these like really intense conversations about how like, you know, how we're all going to, how we're sort of like making a pact that we're all going to go all in and we're going to, yeah. we're going to give it our all and we're really going to make a proper stab at it. And we're going to put everything else on hold, you know, and tour more and work harder and practice more. And so there's just this like, yeah, there's just, and I see it, I see this happen to bands all the time. I, I really wish I could just sort of like go up and sort of give the person a hug and be like, just take the pressure down, just take the pressure down. Cause it's just like this, it just, it's like, it's like fucking some kind of monster. You know, we, the, the most referenced film music documentary on the history of this podcast. Um, <laughs> For once, not by me. It's just this, it is just this doubt that creeps in when you, when you're just too rigid in what your, what your goals are and what your, what your hopes and dreams are. And I think yeah. we just really wanted it too much. We wanted to be able to just be a full-time touring, you know, a Battles or a Foles or a something. I don't know, you know, we just wanted to be in the, at that level and we yeah. were just forgetting about, forgetting to be inspired, you know, forgetting to to like sit down and listen to music together or go for long drives together or or, or hang out together and just, you know, all the yeah. stuff that originally connected us through music was kind of, Gone. Yeah, like at this point, we're not even, we're now not even hanging out, which was like, we were friends before the band and we, like on the other two albums, we would hang out. But by the third record, we're not even really like, yeah, we're not even really together or like. Yeah, and we weren't gigging at all. No. Really. So like previously we would, we would sort of gig and write simultaneously, yeah. you know, like I remember like the first round of Japanese gigs that we did gave us such a huge uh, sort of boost of of kind of inspiration and confidence that like probably the reason that the that we've been talking as a record sounds so cohesive is because we were sort of just like we channeled all this energy that we got in Japan and brought it home and just put it into this record. But at this point, we're not we're not playing gigs, we're not meeting other bands, we're not hanging out with other bands, we're not having no. those big long car drives where you're like, let me play you this, let me play you this. We're just like meeting up twice a week in this small little room, and we're just like, right, who's got something, you know. Yeah. And we're all sort of running on fumes and yeah. um, very, very critical mindset, you know. If it, if anything sounded too enemies, it was almost immediately thrown in the bin, which is, looking back now, it's Stupidest just thing such in the world. a dumb fucking thing to do, you know. But again, oh, it's like... it sounds like your band. You should probably not do that. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, it was... I was I was on a big Brian Wilson kick at the time and I was like you know reading books about him and like reading a lot into kind of pet sounds and how long he spent on that album and how arduously he worked on that record and and I had it in my mind that like I developed this really toxic ideology that like 
in order to make something great, you have to just work really, really, really hard and tirelessly and actually, suffer, if suffer you look back, you have to suffer, suffer yourself, and yeah, torture yeah. yourself. And actually, I think when I look back now on all the music that I've made in my life, it's it's often the the, the tracks that require the least amount of suffering that are the best, you know, because you're just channeling this energy that was there in the room. Yeah. You know, and riding a wave of kind of good vibe. made a good like chunk of the songs but this is the first time we went into the studio before all the songs are written like everything like on the other two albums they were pretty much all done but we started the kind of recording process with valuables while everything's not made Mm. and then i came up with a great idea i was like let's go on a seven week tour of the u.s halfway through making this record <laughs> um, and sort of told people it was going to be seven weeks but also sort of didn't and basically yeah we did like a couple of Dublin shows uh, London and Brighton and then we did like started at South by Southwest moved out to the West Coast and then did West all the way to the East we um, finished up in New York. Yeah. We, yeah, we had seven weeks of touring, two days off. We drove ourselves. Our shortest drive was seven hours. Our longest was 15. And we had to play a show every night, um, which was, yeah, sorry, a show every night apart from two days off. And one of those days is just because we got snowed in. Mm, um, that was a great day. That was a great, yeah, that was a really good day. We went sledding, it was amazing. Yeah, <laughs> But that's where things now, like that's the this is where the like band decides to like or it starts to fall apart yeah and obviously so because we we sort of you know we're trying to make a record and our relationships aren't great and then it was like oh let's stick eight people in a van for seven weeks and see if they all (laughs) like one another at the end Mm. um who initiated the breakup when it happened it's a good question. That is a good question. Oh, I, I remember we we. I think it was a bit of mutiny first. There was a bit of a Mexican standoff when we got back from the tour. There was a bit of a kind of a like, we know we have to get back in the studio um, and finish this record, but no one was really talking, so it was just sort of a stalemate. And I remember going into this. I actually remember like just being like, "Nope, everything's fine," and going into the studio with James James Eager who. Uh, who was producer on that record and and long time uh, driver and like also live, front our of front of house engineer and has like made he's been a part of all of our records. Great dude was there throughout that whole American tour as well and um, was amazing. Like probably wouldn't have even made it through the full fucking seven weeks had he not been there. But uh, yeah, I remember being like, "Hey James, let's go!" And I remember going in and and spending uh, a day or two on vocals with James, just being like, "It's like that scene." And have you seen Get Back? No, I mean, you know, not Beatles guy. Yeah, there's a there's a scene in Get Back where it's just like, it's just Paul and Ringo in the studio. Like John is gone and, and George is gone. And yeah. it really reminded me of that. It was just like this like 
and then there was two. You know, you're never going to leave me, buddy, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so basically, so the rest of the that. band aren't even around. Aren't so even it's, around, it's, yeah. it's only Mark now at this point. Yeah. And then I think we decided to meet up in a park in Dunleary. Yeah, um, and just have a chat. It's like a mafia meeting. Yeah, yeah, public, yeah, yeah, totally. public place. Public well. yeah, place. Yeah, yeah. public yeah, place. Yeah, so yeah. we couldn't kill one another. And <laughs> and, uh, and I remember, I just remember like me and Louis. We, me and Louis were like strategizing the day before this meeting, and we were like, you know, whatever happens, we're keeping this fucking train on the tracks. You know, like yeah. whatever, whatever the other, whatever the other two think. You know, still so utterly just, delusional. Yeah, like. yeah, yeah. Like you know, and. Um, and then we had this, we had this chat and it was very, very apparent having this chat that like, it was just untenable. Like, you know, everyone had their own sort of like I- idea of what the band would need in order for it to be, um, for us to be able to sustain it. But th- those ideas were so, so dramatically conflicting. You know, I was like, I was like, we need to, <laughs> I was still in my like, we just need to keep working really hard mode. And, you know, Owen would have been like, we need to like do the opposite of that. We need to like chill the fuck out. Yeah. You know, he was, he was, he was right, you know, but I was in this like, I'm not ready to, I'm not ready to, I'm not ready to give up, you know, like slowing down equals failure to me right now. And I'm not ready to slow down, you know. So I remember coming away from, from that conversation and, um, and that was when it hit me anyway. It was the, like, that was the this like crushing moment of realization that like this just couldn't continue, um, yeah. Because everyone want everyone was just on such a different page with it, and I guess you know it, it took it, it it started to reveal itself over the coming weeks and months. But it was just this like this just this feeling of like God, I've I have fucked this, you know. It's like I've gotten this so wrong. I've completely lost touch with what it is to what it takes to make good art. What it is to keep relationships solid what it is to you know just keep the energy right I've, I've i've lost i've completely lost the run of myself because of maybe fear um maybe a bit of greed you know maybe ego you know just all these things that have just derailed me from like the person who i kind of thought i was and i think you know you probably would have felt some of that too over the weeks and months that it was just this like ah yeah. oh, shit like we, we got that one wrong and ultimately it was a good thing because i you know it allowed, we decided that the band should should end and that we should finish the record. And actually, I'm quite happy with how the record turned out, you know. Um, and we had we got to have that last show in Vicar Street. Well, yeah. So basically, we break up in Dunleary in a park. Uh, we all go our separate ways. And it's weird because this is when everything changes again. And that decision actually made us like it almost immediately brought like air back into the room. Mm. It's like we finished the, like we went in, we finished the record. It was like, we were all way lighter. Started having fun. We started having fun again. We were like goofy and just like exploring the music again. So we finished that. And then like, we obviously have the last show planned and really like that. I think that gave us um, such like a, an appreciation for the band. Cause it was like, okay, we were finishing this out on our own terms and this is, this could have been so horrible that it's like, but we're in control. Like we're in the driving seat. We're, we're finishing it the way it should be finished. Yeah. You're building a monument to, to what you did. To what we did. And that felt so much nicer than, than kind of continue how toxic our relationships were. Like, and we just, we, we, none of us were friends anymore. So it was, I'm so glad that that's sort of the way it ended because it was the last few months of the band versus what the last like two years previous to that 
were just it was night and day it was so much more enjoyable yeah. to be in the let band me, again let me ask you Louis because like Mark has been very vocal on this very podcast about how yeah. heartbroken you were when the band broke up and it took you a long time <laughs> to like yeah you said it, you said it really rocked you like like, like you, mm. it took you a while to kind of get over it really mm-hmm. you know um, was it the same for you I mean like, like yeah what, what, what was your kind of alright we, we had that gig it was great the joy has been around and now it's my life is my life is different now yeah so it took me a really long time first of all to like let it hit um i think i sort of existed almost in this like everything's fine um kind of just trying to protect myself a little bit um and then it was only after like like genuinely only after about a year that i was like it, it like it started to hit me hard because it had been 10 years of our life. And um, I know for me, it had been 10 years of my life from the very beginning, believing in this project. And because I believed in it so much, I had put so much work into it. Um, not that anybody else didn't, but I just mean on the business side, on on that kind of side. And I had also wrapped a lot of my like identity in it. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the most dangerous thing because when you have a situation where your band is like what you feel like who you are. Yeah. When yeah. that then goes, what you're the just fuck do I do like, now? what exactly? Like, I was like, who am I? I was like, what do I do? Like music sort of stopped for me after like enemies for a while. Like I didn't want to pick up a guitar because everything I was playing, even if it was new, felt like enemies. So I was just like existing in this like really weird space where I was like, I don't want to do any of this anymore. It just, it's too painful. And I think it took, it honestly, it did. It took many years. Like I think it took maybe three or four to sort of get over the hurt of it going. You started um, playing piano. Yeah, I actually, <laughs> yeah. So I bought a piano and it was the furthest thing away from being in like an instrumental band. And that's what kind of brought me back to music. But it did, it, it, it was really hard for sure. Take me back to Houston Station. To yeah. the, uh, to the to the to the conversation, the reunion. So, what year? Well, is it, how recent was, is this? This was uh, last year, last autumn. I think. Okay, yeah. So, um, yeah, you're in the beautiful confines of Houston Station, as yeah. you know, the most romantic place on earth. I believe the, it's called the Galway Hooker, which is the most confusing name in the world for a pub in a Dublin train station. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, we um, we 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 would you know once the dust started to settle, me and Louis would we we've we've actually remained best friends somehow you know throughout all I think you know our friendship is just we have a very special friendship and it was able to endure all the pain of of what we went through with the band and you know very quickly I think I went traveling for a couple of months but then we kind of got our groove back and it was lovely because I'm I'm going on a slight tangent here but we actually started our, our friendship started to get really fucking solid because in the old enemies days, all we would do is talk about enemies. Like, yeah. just from, from sunrise to sunset, all day, every day. And at day, this point, day, I'm now okay with him having a relationship. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> you can't stress that enough. I'm proud of so, you, man. That, that's growth. Yeah. Growth, right? Yeah. So we're now actually, like, talking about life stuff and hanging out and being buds. And often enemies will come up in the conversation, but, like, you know, we'd just be kind of flirting with the idea. Like, oh, wouldn't it be you know, wouldn't it be gas to get back together for just one show or whatever? Or we would kind of like, we would say to each other, like, how many tickets do you reckon we'd sell in Dublin if we, yeah. you know, like, I know, like just, I know we're not going to, but you know. Or even just like a, like, 
we could just sneak off to Japan and do it for a little while. No one will know. Yeah. Like, we'd always joke about doing something like <laughs> we'll that. We'll always have Japan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, we would have these, com- we were probably having these conversations for about a year, you know, all just dripping it in. Like, it was like, it was just like, like we were just, we were just testing the waters with each other, I guess. I think we probably both were starting to develop like a slight sort of goo for the idea of it happening again. And then, um, I guess I ultimately just decided to pull the trigger on like, just like very upfront, just saying, hey, are we going to do this? Um, when I guess I just started to realise just how special it was. Like it had been seven years since we had done the last show and I've jammed, you know, I've I've made a lot of music with a lot of people and I've enjoyed so much everything that I've done with Royal Yellow and other stuff that I've been involved with over the last couple of years and I've made a ton of music on my own in isolation in a room and then moved down to Limerick where I didn't know anyone and continued making music alone in a room and I guess it's just like I had a lot of time and space to reflect on just how magical it was to when it was good you know to to find three people who you who you gel with so fucking beautifully you know especially like the first two records where you just don't have to think about it that much and so with me it was just like let's just do a gig just one gig that's it literally just one gig and let's just see how that feels and and if everyone's kind of if everyone's kind of into it then we'll do another gig and if everyone's kind of into that we might record some music and so I kind of approached you with it in that exact way and you yeah. made a really good point you were just like let's just hang out with each other first before we even hit make a note of music well and i had to see then, what the energy so, is like yeah so like mark asked me f- like first and then i was like i don't know whose idea it was but it was me who rang oshin and own and it was so so strange because like i still would talk to like oshin quite a bit and own but i text oshin and i was just like Hey man, can I talk to you for a minute? Which wouldn't be that peculiar for for us, like you know, like I like I said, I was kind of remained in contact with him, and I answered the phone, and he was like, "You want to get the band back together?" And I was like, <laughs> "I was like, what? I was like, what crystal ball do you have? That's so peculiar that you that uh, you know that you said that." And he was great. Like the phone call lasted less than sixty seconds. He was like, "I'm in. Let me know when it's happening." Um, it's like in one of those, like you know, one of those ensemble cast films where, like, you have to sort of just like move yeah. it along quickly. You know, you, it was a montage. Well, like with Oshin, it was just so great. Like, there's just like no work with it. He was just like, "Yeah, great. Tell me the details." Bye. And then Owen was a bit of a different thing because I went for a walk with him. He lives like five minutes from my family home. Oh yeah. So we went oh, yeah. for like a walk to Kilcoole Beach and. Um, normally I'd meet Owen and we go for big, like hour long walks and, you know, just chat about life. And I've, I've stayed in contact with him and we're good friends. And, um, like five minutes into the conversation, I'm like leading up to being like, I think we should do this. And he turns around to me and goes, man, I've got some news for you. I was like, what? He's like, I'm having a kid. And I was like... Louis goes, I hate this bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that old feeling came rushing back. <laughs> I was just like, fuck. It's like, it's not a pizza place. It's not a relationship. God but I was just like, for God's sake, this is happening just all over again. Just my look. Just my yeah. look. But it was genuine. Congratulations, really. I suppose. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I guess. Whatever. Everyone's doing that. Move on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what a cliche. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Boring. 
Uh, no, I would, like we obviously like had this big Thrilled. embrace and it the was, baby it, it so, now exists. Side note: yes. little Ruby Whitfield, and, um, and she's beautiful. But yeah, it was a really gorgeous moment. But I, I in that moment was just like, no, this isn't going to happen. I'm not even going to ask because I was like, that's a pivotal moment in someone's life. I don't want to like ruin it. But we went for this like <laughs> one hour long. By the way, I've grown a lot as you can tell. Oh yeah. Right? Like it's so good. Um but yeah, we were like an hour into the walk and just before I left, I was like I was like, I was gonna ask you, did you want to get the band back together? And he did the same <laughs> thing that like I did with Owen or with Mark. He was like, Oh my God, are you all right? It's like is it, he's like, Are you dying? Like like why would you want to do that? Yeah. Um, are people coming to break your hands? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do, yeah. Do you like, owe what money? What is, is happening? <laughs> but um he was great about it. Like we we discussed and I I explained the same reasons that like me and Mark had before that we just missed it and mm-hmm. that it meant a lot to us and how fun would it be to just even do a couple of shows um and that was it yeah and then like i said we had that dinner and then after the dinner we went to the rehearsal room and it was really funny like the very first time we went to click into a song like oshin like clicks twice and then he stops and goes this is so weird and we all started breaking our heart laughing and like then oshin couldn't click in for like a good five minutes we were just like waiting for the like what the feeling would be like to play that first note we're all just like yeah, it's just like, it's like just the this weird building. Suspended. What was the first song that you played? The first song we played was Fierce Pit Bosses, which is from the first record. Um, and and it starts and it goes like anyone familiar with that song went over to Italy. It's like one, two, three, one. And then it goes boom, 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 and then there's this like silence. moment of silence. Yeah, you know, there's like uh, two, three, four, and in that moment of silence, you could literally hear us all just go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like we have a recording of it, and we're just yeah, <laughs> just like boop, 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 boop. <laughs> and then straight in, and it sounded fucking great. And it, honestly, it I couldn't, really good. Couldn't believe that it, it did. And, yeah, it was bizarre. Um, and yeah, all the rehearsals have sounded really good. Like it, it hasn't taken that long for us to maybe because of the muscle memory and the work we put in. But yeah, it's sounding really good. <laughs> I mean, like that kind of feeling that you had at the end of the run once you had the breakup was locked in or whatever. Like, yeah, um, the word joy is kind of coming to mind. Like, does this feel joyous? Mm -hmm. Honestly, this feels if like incredible. I think even the way the rehearsals have gone and like how it sounds, I think it's one of the best sounding. I think it's the best we've sounded as a band and it feels less it feels effortless in some ways. Like, it, obviously, it's work to get the songs going, but um, even the way we play them, like me and Owen were talking about, like, we actually play the guitar differently now and, like, do it in a more, in an easier way and it feels better to us. And, uh, yeah, yeah, it's been it's been incredible to be back doing it, I have to say. Yeah. It feels like slipping on an old pair of pants that you loved but fell down behind a couch or something. <laughs> 
Um, to use an incredibly clumsy metaphor. You should write for State Magazine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you should review our next record. <laughs> it just feels really comfortable. It's bizarre. It's like no time has passed at all. Like when we're in that room together and we're noodling away, it just feels like the best version of what it felt like back then before we all lost our minds. So yeah. um, <clears throat> what is the plan for the future? Is there a plan? That's the funny one. Yeah. It's sort of, of, it's kind of slightly evolved even from like our first conversation, the first conversation me and Mark had, which really was just like one show and mm-hmm. um, which was the Button Factory. And then we've already got a London show now the week after and we've slightly started to mess around even just with like new ideas. And I think we're kind of in the mindset now of like, Maybe it'd be nice to never close the door on enemies, but also never have it be our lives and maybe have this like weird something in the middle of those two things. You know, maybe it'd be something we can just do for fun when the opportunity is available to us. Yeah. And I think that's a much, finally chilled out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's a much healthier way to maybe look at the band. So yeah, that's growth, let me tell you. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, look at yeah. us. <laughs> yeah. I mean I, I feel like, you know, like a couple the, of Leslie Van Houtens over here. I like I don't know I, I, I don't want to put myself in a position where I'm like where I say something ridiculous like, oh I sometimes I doing the show I feel like you know, I feel like I'm in a therapy session or I feel like I am the therapist. This <laughs> has felt like that, though, in a great way. Amazing. I, kinda, I, I, I feel like I feel very, um, I don't know, just kind of like I'm like grateful to hear this story on the show. So thank you both. Oh, it's been an oh, absolute pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, so good like, to do it here. It's a hell of a, it's a, it's a great story. It's a great fucking It really band. is, yeah. And yeah. I think, you know, thank you. I think I speak for many people when I say that I think we're I'm very, very glad that you're back. Thank you so oh, much. Thank you. I so really appreciate it. It's great to be that. back. Yeah, and so we will be don't back. Clo- don't close that door. Factory, yeah, we'll on. <laughs> yeah, we'll also we have, have a house party a um, again <laughs> so that you guys can actually come this time. Please do. Oh yeah, sorry, get your plugs in. Yeah, we haven't done our plug. Oh, um, so, so for those of you who've been listening for the last three hours. <laughs> <laughs> we're, actually, we're actually, no, we're actually not so bad. What are we're, we at? We're an hour and nearly an hour and a half. Okay, that's sort of optimal no encore length. That's actually, I think... It, it, it's short yeah, for right, an encore Yeah, we're at a two-hour average these days, so wrap it up. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Tell you what, just throw in three songs off our first EP. And <laughs> um, but yeah, we're playing The Button Factory in Dublin City on the 16th of September. Yes. Uh, with Delta Sleep, who are a band from the UK that we've been playing with forever. You know, we first ever UK tour. Incredible we band. We played with them. They're amazing. Um, if you like enemies, you're definitely going to like Delta Sleep. They're, we're drinking similar kind of Kool-Aid, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is going to sell out, by the way, so get your tickets now if you're I listening. I think as of today, there's 27 tickets left. Okay. But this is not coming out for a week, so That's it's true. entirely <laughs> possible that by the time this comes out, there might be no tickets left. But hey, yeah. um, Disappointment is good. It's good for the soul, you know. Right. Like, I mean, yeah. yeah. Bill's character. Um, and then we're doing a London show the following week, the 23rd of September in the Dome. That's yes. with Delta Sleep as well. So tickets yep. are on sale for that if anyone is listening in London or wants to travel to London. Um, and then we're just going to leave ourselves open to absolutely whatever feels good. Yeah. Yeah. Mark and Louis from Enemies, thank you both so much. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much, guys. Cheers. Loved nice it. One. All right. Um, yes. So if you if there are still tickets available, grab them now. If they're not, yeah, we'll, they'll catch you down the road. Hell yeah. See you in seven years. And that's the glorious return of enemies, everybody. My name is Dave Hanready. This has been No Encore. There will be No Encore. Back to uh, regular news-based programming next week, probably. Bye.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.